This is a Brain Channel program from the Department of Neurosciences at the UC San Diego School of Medicine. Visit us at uctv.tv brain to explore cutting-edge research, treatment options for conditions related to the nervous system, and the inner workings of the human mind. I really strongly identify <clears throat> with people who um, have had to deal with uh, difficult times, <clears throat> who've lived their life uh, facing challenges that are larger than the ones I faced, certainly, but who've succeeded, who've been heroic in moving their lives forward in a way that's highly positive, that not only is good for them, but is good for their community, that really gives all of us a special blessing. And it's not okay, then, for those same people to be threatened with this uh, huge wave that Karen spoke about. And I think that that's why I feel so emotional about it. And, and I have to be careful to control that emotion because, of course, the next thing I have to do is something positive and thoughtful and critical and, and defined by good science to respond to it. And, and that's what Mike Raffi and I and my colleagues do both here, but around the world we're, we're struggling to understand what goes on in Down syndrome when we're start struggling as scientists and clinicians to make a difference. But I, I have to tell you that uh, we need your help. I mean, there's just absolutely nothing we can do without your help. There's not a single person in this room whose contribution to this effort uh, can, be, can be missed. We need you. Um, uh, it's uh, encouraging that we have folks like Karen and others to fight for, but we can't do it without you. And so that's my main message. I'll, I'll talk about the science now, but I think what I'd like you to take away from this is that we're engaged in a fight, and we need every one of you to be in that fight with us, and that I promise if you are with us, we will succeed. I don't know when we're going to succeed. can't tell you exactly how we'll succeed, but I'm confident that we will succeed, again, with your help. So thanks for being here. Um, I thought what I'd do is uh, <clears throat> try to figure out how to use this machine. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so I have some disclosures to make, and, and, and this is really work that's all very much focused on trying to make a difference in Down syndrome and Alzheimer's disease. And so let me, let me start with uh, some simple thinking. So what we can say about Down syndrome is that every change that we see <clears throat> has to be due in some way to the extra copy of chromosome 21. It has to be due to that in some way or other. And likely, it's because of an extra copy of one or more genes on that chromosome. Now, you know what genes are. They're, they're pieces of DNA that tell the cell how to make a, a copy of that DNA, a different kind of copy called RNA, and that that RNA is then turned into a protein. So ultimately, genes make proteins. So if you have an extra gene, then you have extra protein, typically. Not in every case, but mostly. So <clears throat> if we're going 
to prevent Alzheimer's disease, then we need to find the genes that are responsible and we need to understand how their proteins work. And if we can do that, then we can define treatments to try to counteract that protein and that gene's effect. It's a pretty simple idea. And yet I can say that when I started in this business, people told me just don't even bother because it's just way too complicated. It's way too complicated. You know, really, you ought to just invest your career in something that's safe. <coughs> and oh, by the way, even if it's not too complicated, it's way too difficult to study this. So really, I mean, seriously, just give it up. And oh, by the way, even if you found something, it'd be way too late to make a difference. And I'm here to tell you that none of those things is true. It's not too, it's not too complicated, it's not too difficult, and it's definitely not too late. So I didn't know that at first. I guess that was true. I'm an optimist by nature. But it, it's true. It's not too difficult <clears throat> to study. It's not too complicated. And it's definitely not too late. So what do we know? So I'm looking here at chromosome 21. This, this guy right here, this is chromosome 21. It's kind of a, obviously a picture of it. And it, it has several parts. Now, it's the smallest chromosome, but it's not exactly a trivial piece of DNA because it's 33.8 megabases in length. I know you know that. I just thought I'd remind you. <laughs> it has 214 genes that make proteins. It has 144 genes that might also make proteins. We just can't figure that out yet. And it, makes, it has genes that make RNA molecules. And they, they function separately from proteins. And so it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting thing. It's interesting. This chromosome, though it's the tiniest chromosome, is involved in 30 different Mendelian disorders, so where genes are mutated and cause a, another disorder. That, that's not Down syndrome, but that's, it's interesting. So it, even though it's a little chromosome, it's a mighty chromosome. And what it makes, the genes on there make factors that regulate DNA uh, expression, and they're involved in signaling and in trafficking of molecules in the cell and in the structure of the cell. And here are a number of those genes. And, and they're really interesting genes. And I could make a case for studying, spending my whole life studying any one of these. Uh, you'll hear mostly about APP here. But just to make the case that um, the net effect of chromosome 21 present in one extra copy is quite significant. And regarding cognition, and you've heard this from Mike, uh, we know that cognition is a problem in both kids and adults. Intellectual ability varies. There are delays in the development of milestones, motor and cognitive milestones. There's troubles with learning and memory and language. Verbal short-term memory, the ability to remember verbal activity, words, is hard, and long-term memory of events and facts is difficult. But there's some preservation of kind of memory for visual spatial things and for, and for long-term memory of skills like riding a bike and that sort of thing. 
and then as mentioned, Alzheimer's pathology uh, is, is present in virtually everyone, and not everyone, but certainly there's an increased risk for Alzheimer's disease. That means the dementia of Alzheimer's disease. So what we know in a very global stand back from a 5,000 foot level is that there are changes in brain development already in the embryo. The children and adults have troubles with cognition, at least in part because there's an imbalance. There's a little too much of a chemical that suppresses activity of neurons. And that when they become older, the neurons that they have are more likely, specific neurons are more likely to dysfunction, become dysfunctional and die. And that we think is the key to the Alzheimer's piece. Now, I'm not gonna talk about really anything other than Alzheimer's disease, but just to say that when it comes to the <clears throat> learning and memory of kids, young adults and children, we found a gene <coughs> called uh, called GER2 that we that's present in one extra copy that we think has a really important role in cognition in kids and adults, and we're we're hoping that that can be explored more fully that we could find treatments to reduce the activity of that gene product. If the mice can teach us anything about this, they would teach us that if we can reduce the amount of that protein, we can enhance learning and memory. Now that's not complicated, right? That says if we can do something to modify the level of that protein in a mouse, we can make learning and memory better, maybe we could do the same thing for people. I'm not gonna talk about that anymore except to make the case that it has been possible using mouse models of Down syndrome to find that certain genes in a third copy are really necessary for the problem, right? So that's really hopeful. The idea is that even though there are 240 protein coding genes, not all of them has an equally important role in a particular set of problems. So the search for genes is a very important one. So I want to talk about the older adults, but I want to introduce some neurobiology to you. And you probably all know this, but I'm, I'll say it anyway. I know Karen knows it, but you know, we'll try to catch up with Karen here. So <clears throat> the brain operates because neurons talk to neurons. Neural circuits are collections of neurons that speak to one another. And so here's a neuron, and here's the cell body of the neuron, and here are these little tentacles. They're little, like little antennae. And they receive information from the neuron that's just upstream. And then here's the axon of this neuron. It's a long tube. It's a long tube that extends to the next neuron where it talks to it. And it talks to it at a place called the synapse. So if you look at that picture, you can see there are little bags of molecules and they're releasing their contents. And when they do that, those little molecules bind to other proteins here and they excite the neuron. So when this guy is electrically excited, 
that stimulus runs down the axon, causes the release of this neurotransmitter, we call it, and the next neuron fires. That's how circuits work. It's very important to know that this axon makes information flow in two directions. In this direction, it provides all the materials that you need for the synapse to work, including those little vesicles with all those little molecules in it. It also carries information back this way. And that's really important information because that information is this cell telling this cell using molecules, I'm here, I'm your buddy, I'm your friend, stay alive. Information flows both ways. Now, when there's a brain disorder, and I don't care what brain disorder it is that you talk about, there are really two causes for the disorder to happen. In one case, neurons can die. So they're missing, and the circuit is busted. In another case, the synapse doesn't work well. Somehow there's a problem with the synapse. So whether it's stroke or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or any other disorder you want to talk about, disorders of the brain are disorders of circuit function. And that occurs either because neurons die or because synapses become dysfunctional. So what goes on in Alzheimer's disease, and we don't really know all the details yet, but we are aware of two really major players, molecules. One is a molecule called A-beta, and you've heard Mike already talk about A-beta. You've heard Pete Session refer to the amyloid protein. This little molecule is poisoning the synapse. Probably a lot of different ways it does it, but it's poisoning the synapse, and for that reason, it causes the circuit to fail. And another molecule is a thing called P-tau. It's phosphorylated tau. This protein is really important for the highway to stay stable, the highway that carries that information going out and coming back. This protein normally keeps it stable, and when it's phosphorylated, as it is in Alzheimer's disease, it doesn't do its job. When this happens, this guy can no longer talk to this guy, and this guy can no longer talk to this guy, and there's a short circuit. So in a nutshell, Alzheimer's disease is short-circuiting the brain. Mike talked about the pathology, and I'm just going to refer again to the plaque, this dense collection of protein, and also little dendrites, and also little axons, and synapses. It's this, this A-beta-42 protein, this A-beta protein sitting right there. That's very characteristic of the pathology of Alzheimer's disease, and also Alzheimer's disease and Down syndrome. And the other characteristic is this thing called a tangle that he refers to. That, that P-tau, that's part of the tangle. So we've got our two players, A-beta and P-tau, that mark the pathology of this disease. And this emerges in everyone with Down syndrome by age 40. And as you know, a certain percentage by age 50, the middle 50s, have dementia as well. There are several A-beta-related molecules. Now, here's A-beta right here. It's not a protein in and of itself. It's part of a bigger protein called APP. 
That gene is present in chromosome 21. That's the gene whose protein called APP is responsible after being cleaved for a beta. That's the peptide that Glinner and Wong discovered in 1984. It comes from this protein here, which was later discovered to be on chromosome 21. And I think it's really brilliant. Glinner and Wong speculated that this peptide that they sequenced would be part of a protein that was on a gene on chromosome 21. That was in 1984. Before we sequenced the human genome, those guys were right. UCSD. Sorry. <laughs> I, you know, I, didn't, I, I never met uh, Professor Glenner. I met his wife. His, form, his wife, uh, he passed away uh, some years ago. But he cared so much about people with Alzheimer's disease that he and his wife, Joy, set up the Glenner Foundation. And they have now Glenner facilities across San Diego to try to help families with folks with, with Alzheimer's disease. They've got a brand new uh, kind of environment, living environment, not you know, kind of a daycare environment. It's, they've done great work. OK, so now we're going to look at the brain in people with Down syndrome, and we're going to look at different ages. And this is work from Cindy Lemire. We're looking at plaques. And notice that there's some staining here that's kind of diffuse at age 12, and by 17, a little bit more, but by 29, even more. And now some of that diffuse staining is becoming quite punctate. This is the evolution of amyloid staining in brain over time in Down syndrome. So what do we know about pathology? We first of all know that pathology is similar, if not identical, to Alzheimer's disease. So the older adult with Down syndrome has pathology very similar, if not identical, to Alzheimer's disease of the typical type. The disease emerges over decades, as Mike mentioned. It implicates the gene for APP. So we know that in AD, as Mike mentioned, there are some families that carry mutations in APP that are causing Alzheimer's disease. And we know that in other families, just an extra copy of normal APP is enough to cause Alzheimer's disease. It's absolutely cool to know this, because it helps us so much in thinking about therapy. An extra copy of APP is necessary for Alzheimer's disease and Down syndrome. Now, let me show you a recent paper. This is a man who lived in Orange County, he, had, uh, he was an elderly man with Down syndrome. He, he lived the life of a person with Down syndrome. But he had, he had not a full extra copy of chromosome 21. He had only part of it. He visited his uh, clinic, and between age 66 and 72, he had extensive psychiatric and neuropsych testing examinations. They looked for this amyloid protein in his brain using PET imaging. They measured the amyloid peptide in his plasma. And at age 72, he died. And they did an autopsy. His intellectual dis disability was relatively mild. But importantly, serial testing showed no, almost no decline at all. And definitely no dementia. He was 72. His amyloid scans were negative. He did not have amyloid in his brain, and his plasma amyloid was quite low. And here's what's really cool. At autopsy, 
here is his brain stained for amyloid, and here is the brain of somebody who has Alzheimer's disease with Down syndrome. And look at the difference in staining. You see the plaques here, the brown staining? Not here. He had a single plaque, and though he had a little bit of P. tau, it was really just like you'd see during normal aging. So what does this say? This is another case showing you can have Down syndrome. If you have three copies of APP, you will have Alzheimer's disease neuropathology, and the risk for Alzheimer's disease dementia very high. If, on the other hand, you have two copies, you can escape this. So, another piece of the pathology, because it's what we study. It turns out that one of the really, really, really early changes of pathology is not the plaque or the tangle, but this abnormal compartment in the cell called the endosome. And these endosomes are bigger. And you can find them in the brain, you can stain for them in the brain using a particular antibody. So what do we know? This is work from Randy Nixon. Essentially, we know that these guys, these little enlarged endosomes, occur very, very early and throughout the brain. So look here at the dark staining, the little black dots. These are neurons, and they contain very much enlarged early endosomes. And you can see them throughout the brain, and they stain with this antibody. And you can see that they're present inside neurons, and they contain inside themselves a beta. The very same kind of picture was seen in Down syndrome. But now, notice that these early endosomes appear in utero, in fetal brain. They are there the whole lifetime of these folks. And notice again, just as for Alzheimer's disease, these early endosomes contain that A-beta peptide. Well, why do I care about that? It's because that little compartment is the means by which that second neuron talks to the first neuron. It's the way that that message, I'm alive, I'm healthy, keep me going, send me those neurotransmitter molecules, it's the means by which that, is, that business is conducted. And it's conducted because these endosomes basically take in information from outside the world and they take it back to the nucleus to impact the nucleus. And when you make these early endosomes too big, the whole process is compromised. And so our picture of this is as follows. And this is, a, this is an, an organelle we discovered in the lab. The early endosome can contain a lot of things, but one of the things it contains are the receptors for these things called neurotrophic factors. And those endosomes are formed then at these synapses, and they move all the way down the axon to the cell body where they say, be well, be alive, make these proteins keep functioning. Anything you do to compromise these endosomes compromises trophic signaling, and we think that's critical for causing both the neuron and the synapse to fail. So a little picture, neuron number two, neuron number one, and here's that little signaling endosome now struggling to get down that axon. And we can, in, in model studies in mice, we've been able to see that it's exactly the case. If you make those endosomes big, they move very, very poorly. We can prevent that. 
by reducing the copy number of APP. And so these are studies in mouse models. Here's the human chromosome. Here's the three mice, mouse chromosomes that correspond to human 21. A number of different models. Their genes marked out here by arrows. And I'll just quickly show you, just summarize this way. Increased APP gene dose <coughs> causes increased levels of the protein. Mouse models show degeneration of the same neurons we see in people with Alzheimer's disease and in people with Down syndrome who have Alzheimer's disease. They also show endosomal changes and they show phosphorylation of tau and every one of these is prevented if we reduce the number of APP genes from three to two. Nothing else. All the other genes are there. We just act on one gene. So briefly, Neurons are too few in number in interneuronal cortex, fixed by getting rid of the extra copy of APP. Fewer neurons in locus ceruleus, fixed by getting rid of the extra copy of APP. Neurons are too few in the basal forebrain, fixed by getting rid of the extra copy of APP. Indosomes are enlarged in the mouse model, fixed by getting rid of the extra copy of APP. And here, notice this brown stain here. This is P tau. So here's the normal mouse. Here's the mouse with three copies of APP. Staining gone by eliminating one copy of APP. So what does this lead to? It tells us, and we know now, that there are three different products of APP that matter. The folate protein, this thing called C99 and A-beta-42. What are we going to do? First of all, the hypothesis. In Alzheimer's disease, the hypothesis is that, t that the levels of A-beta, and some people think C99, are the problem, and we think they're, pro we think they're right. In, in, in Down syndrome, we have to worry about APP and C99 and A-beta, and how are we going to deal with that? Well, here are the therapeutic approaches. Let's target the expression of the gene for APP in people with Down syndrome. How? This approach says we're going to make the RNA unstable. We're working on that. This approach says let's prevent that RNA from being turned into protein. We're working on that. This says let's get rid of that A-beta-42 peptide. That's bad news. And let's get rid of C99. We're working on that with the program called the Gamma Secretase Modulator Program with Steve Wagner. And then what about let's get rid of A-beta. And Mike Raffi said, what about a vaccine that's targeting A-beta? What if we could get rid of A-beta? Wouldn't that make things better? And we sure hope so. The mice say it will. And so uh, what we're looking at here is there's a problem on a specific memory test in a mouse that's res rescued with the vaccine treatment of these mice. And there's some other tests. Here's a very important memory test that's carried out in a mouse. Very marked abnormality in a mouse model of Down syndrome ameliorated when we vaccinated against the A-beta peptide. So we're excited about shots on goal. We think the problem is a complicated problem, but it's not too complicated. It's difficult to study, but not too difficult to study. And it's definitely not too late. If we know where to go, if we know where to incisively direct our experiments, and our experiments are directed, at reducing the level of the gene for APP's expression to reduce the levels of the proteins 
of that protein and its products with the expectation that if we can do that, we can prevent Alzheimer's disease and Down syndrome. Now, when do we do our work? Well, Mike also mentioned he used a different diagram, but this is a sort of a theoretical schema for how Alzheimer's disease occurs in Down syndrome. And so here's the dementia here. So notice that, yes, dementia's here, but by the time dementia's there, my goodness, there's been years and years of activity going on at the level of those <clears throat> amyloid plaques and the tangles <clears throat> and changes in brain size. We need to work early. We need to have the Down syndrome community come together to help us begin to study and then ultimately to treat before the disease. I don't want to wait till the disease occurs. I want to treat before the disease. I want to start early. And that's why so much of the work going on now in the world is trying to say, what, is this, what does this really look like? And wouldn't it be so great to start here, to start at an early enough age with a medicine that's so safe and effective that we could say someday we had a role in preventing Alzheimer's disease and Down syndrome. So to summarize, increased APP gene dose is necessary for Alzheimer's and Down syndrome. Increased APP gene dose acts via the full-length protein, as well as C99 and A-beta-42. A number of options can now be envisioned for therapeutically targeting APP in adults with Down syndrome. In ongoing preclinical studies, we're further evaluating these approaches, and ideally we would treat to prevent Alzheimer's disease and Down syndrome by starting treatment before disease onset. We're excited. We think that future is very bright for this. We're going to be successful. We're not sure exactly when, but we're going to be successful, and we know with your help that day will come sooner rather than later. Thank you very much.